morning. Item number one. Over 187,000 students at 193 schools have experienced a school shooting since the Columbine massacre, according to a Washington Post report published in mid-March of this year, prior to and therefore not including the statistics from the recent Santa Fe school shooting in which 10 people died. Columbine was April the 20th, 1999, and it left 13 people dead. Since 1999, there have been 10 school shootings on average each year in the United States. And the shootings have occurred across 36 states and districts, the Post concluded. The shootings have caused 375 deaths or injuries, and only on-campus grade school shootings during school hours were actually counted by the paper. The country has already seen over a dozen school shootings this year, this year including the one at Parkland, Florida that left 17 dead, and as I said, add to that Santa Fe that left 10 dead. What those figures fail to capture, though, is the collateral damage of this uniquely American crisis, the article that I read said. This means that the number of children who have been shaken by gunfire in the places they go to learn exceeds the population of Eugene, Oregon or Fort Lauderdale, Florida. A February 15th article of this year written by Michael Roberts and posted on westward.com the day after the Parkland, Florida school shooting that left 17 dead the day before claimed that Parkland was at least the 208th, 208th school shooting to take place in Columbine's wake. It went on to say this. Not all of these shootings resulted in multiple casualties. In some instances, there were no injuries or fatalities. But one of the things that's most shocking about this list is how little publicity many of these examples of on-campus gun violence have received. So common have school shootings become that without high body counts, they're treated like typical local news. That's a sad testimony to the size and scope of the problem. Brethren, how did we get here? And don't tell me guns. We had guns long before we had Columbine. Item number two. This past Monday evening, I had the privilege of attending a homeschool band concert at a huge, sprawling, palatial palatial denominational church building in the southern part of Tulsa. They obviously practice what some would refer to contemporary worship, but I call it a concert with a cross. You walk in and 
Out back there, certain places, you can see the big spotlights like you'd see in a Hollywood movie set. The big spotlights and banks of lights and track lighting. I got this from their website. It says, we believe that worship is not solely about music, so we strive to see a holistic embrace of other arts, such as painting, sculpture, drama, lighting, and rich imagery in our gatherings. This is all to enhance worship. Pots and all that stuff. As we set there, and, and of course the reason that a homeschool band has to have a church facility is because they obviously can't be in the public school system, so, well that's my guess anyway, but at any rate, they're at this big denominational, palatial, huge church building and sound and all that. And so up on the stage where the young folks are, and I don't know how many were seated up there, but with instruments and everything, there was room for probably 50 people or better, maybe more, I don't know. But up on the backdrop of that, it said, Hearing God. Somebody's not hearing God because God said sing. There was a banner there that flowed that said... Bring on the kingdom. And I thought, boy, somebody's not hearing God because the kingdom came 2,000 years ago. But there's so much tapestry and pots and, or whatever this all means and, and decoration and, and band room and all that. So there isn't room to hear God. I'm reminded of the prophet who went running for his life. And, you know, God wasn't in the thunder and the big whirlwind. God was in a whisper and you had to listen to really hear him. But my question is regarding item number two... How did we get here that this is biblical worship? And finally, item number three. How is it that we live in a world that is intelligent enough to create the internet, smartphones, and cars that can drive themselves down the highway, but yet cannot seem to get the simplest of God's truths through our heads. Such as the fact that there is only one body. That's not complicated. That there is one body, which is the one blood-bought, pre-denominational New Testament church of our Lord Jesus Christ as we see in the scriptures there is one body which is the church Ephesians 1 22 and 3 there's one spirit there's one hope there's one Lord there's one faith there's one baptism and there's one God Ephesians 4 4 through 6 how is it we live in a world that is so intelligent they can figure out all this other stuff but they can't understand or get through their heads something as simple as the seven ones of Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. How, for the third time on this planet, did we ever wind up here? And the answer to all three of those questions, whether we're talking about school shootings, concert with a cross worship, or the two things we've just talked about, the answer to all three of those questions and every other question just like them is not only extremely simple, but it is the same exact answer in every one of those cases. You ready for the answer? Here's the answer to how we got here. A total lack of respect for, time spent in, 
and obedience to the living word of the living God, period. It's that simple. That's how we got here. A total lack of respect for time spent in and obedience to the living word of the living God, period. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry I missed one. <laughs> the other question that I was going to ask that I completely missed is this one. How is it possible that we now live in a world where the most hateful and horrible thing anybody can ever do is to warn someone who is headed down the wide and easy path that leads to destruction of the dangers that lie ahead of them in that direction? That's the, another point that we're to in our society. While the most hateful thing you can possibly do is tell somebody that the road they're on leads to hell. How did we get here? The answer is the same. A total lack of seeking, hungering and thirsting after, and living and abiding in God's Word. That's how we got here. We got here from a lack of Bible study. Both privately, publicly, personally, and congregationally. We got here with all of those cases because of a total lack of the proper priority being placed on personal Bible study. That's how we got here as a nation. It's pretty easy to verify. Let me ask you a few questions. Don't answer, just listen. Do most Americans spend more time on social media, smartphones, and other electronic devices or studying the life-giving word of the living God. Which do they spend more time on? Perhaps the sadder question is what do Christians spend more time on? It's easy to verify how we got here. Let me ask you another question. Do most Americans spend more time watching, enjoying, and are participating in sporting and recreational events and activities? Or studying the living word of the living God. But again, do Christians spend more time watching sports or engaging in recreational activities than they do studying the living word of the living God? Do most Americans spend more time watching TV or engrossed in the word of God? What about Christians? Where's our time spent? Do Christians or people in general spend more time listening to the world's bad news or the Lord's good news? Pretty easy to see how we got to where we are, isn't it? The Bible says, God says, that we must study. To show ourselves, boy, am I getting ahead of myself. i got to watch that thing every minute. The Bible says that we must study to show ourselves approved to God. You want to show yourself approved to God? you got to study. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says that we must continually progress, add to, and grow in our biblical knowledge in order to guarantee our entrance into heaven. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 11 
In chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, it's right there in black and white. God said, in this way, by adding to your Christian virtues, including knowledge, by continually adding to them, by getting them in ever-increasing amounts, that's how you guarantee your entrance into heaven. Verse 11 of chapter 1 of 2 Peter. The Bible says we must live and abide in the word of God to be really free from the devil's schemes and his eternal fate and destiny, John 8, 31 through 47. And here's why. Here's why. Here's why Bible study is so all important. Satan's battle for your soul and for everything about you, Satan's playground or battleground, the place where he continually wages war with all humans is right here in our minds. This is where it starts. This is the battleground it begins at. Right here. Right here. Right between our ears. That's where it begins. It is the evil thoughts and the evil ideas and the temptations that Satan constantly plants and he constantly places and causes to lodge and foothold, gain a foothold in our brain, those are what actually eventually transfer into sinful actions and activities if we do not defeat them right here. James chapter 1 verses 12 through 16. This is the battleground. If we don't fill this with God's word, it's going to get filled with Satan's devices. What did Jesus say? He said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within. A person doesn't just go out, generally speaking, and do bad stuff. The, the school shooters. Do you think that they just went to school one day and without even giving it a conscious thought, the guns appeared in their hands? Do you think it happened that way? They had to think about it first. Satan had to win the battle here before the battle became an action. Again, James chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. It comes from within. And if we're allowing that stuff inside to gain a foothold, Satan every day is just, just beating us up and he's, he's launching the battle and he's trying to plant all this bad stuff in our minds and in our hearts and in our heads and, and get us to think about it. And a guy don't just cheat on his wife. A woman doesn't just cheat on her husband. They, they think it doesn't just, well, it just happened. No, it didn't. You thought about it first. If you hadn't thought about it, it wouldn't have happened. You might have pounded your, your thumb with a hammer without thinking about it. But that's where sin begins, is inside. Satan is an incredibly strong enemy. Look around at all the carnage that he has caused and all of the eternal lives that will be lost because of Satan and the power by which he has deceived those people who have fallen for his lies and deceptions, whether we're talking about denominationalism or any of this other stuff. Satan is so strong. He cannot be defeated by human beings alone. The Bible says everybody's sin fallen short of the glory of God, right? Everybody's lost the battle that's of accountable age. Everybody. He's beaten them at least once. You cannot win on your own. You can't do it. You simply do not have the power to constantly stand against and repel Satan and his ungodly and soul-destroying agenda. You don't have in and of yourselves the kind of strength it takes to win that battle consistently. You don't. 
Otherwise, all wouldn't have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Brethren, listen to me. There's only one defense. There's only one strength. There's only one thing on earth that is powerful enough to withstand and hold the devil at bay and hence defeat his agenda of destruction on the daily battlefield of our minds. And you know what that is, don't you? It is the full armor of God. I know you're familiar with the passage, but open your Bibles this morning. Yes, we're going to open our Bibles this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. I want to show you this in maybe a way that you hadn't thought about it before. All, everything that we're talking about today, it's sort of like Bible study Sunday. This morning has to do with Bible study. The bulletin has to do with Bible study. And tonight's lesson has to do with Bible study. It is so critical and important and the lack of it is what has gotten us to where we are today in so many places. But in Ephesians chapter 6, what I want to show you beginning at verse 10, is how many of these are tied to studying God's Word. Knowing God's Word. So it's a battlefield of the mind so that you can win that. It says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If you don't study, you're going to lose the battle. Period. You know that's the case. Think of your past. Whoever you are. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Spiritual hosts. What does the word host mean? It means a whole bunch of them. It means there's this great army or mass of them, hosts. We talk about the heavenly host worshiping God, all these innumerable. This is, we're outnumbered. We are outgunned, we are outnumbered, we're, we're in a terrible place if we're trying to win the battle on our own. But if we're going to stand, it says, Therefore, because the enemy is so big, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your waist, having girded your waist with truth. Stop right there. What's the first element? Gird your waist with what? Truth. Know the truth of the Word of God. John 17, verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The very first item he mentions, if you're going to beat the devil, is being having your waist girded with the belt of truth. A belt holds everything else in place. To the Roman army... To anybody, the belt, uh, police officers, uh, paramedics, uh, you name the belt holds everything else. The God's truth will hold everything else together for you. It's the very first item he mentions, but it's not the only time that we see the essentiality of knowing the truth, knowing the word, understanding and continually strengthening through Bible study our knowledge of God's word. He continues... Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Where is the only place in the world you're going to find the gospel? It's right there. It's right in God's word. It's what brings peace. You've got to know the gospel. You've got to be prepared to give others the gospel that they might have peace with God, Romans 5.1. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing. Hearing by what? Word of God, right? So once again, we see it tied to the fact we've got to know our Bibles. We've got to study. Well, I've studied for 20 years. Well, if you know everything there is to know, why aren't you teaching a class? Because I don't know everything there is to know, and they got me teaching a class. 
If you know it all and you've got it all memorized and you've been a Christian for 110 years or whatever the case may be, and you know everything there is to know about the Word of God, then I'll go sit down and teach. But if you don't, then there's still things to learn. And you still need to strengthen that armor in your own life. He continues, not done yet. Shield of faith with which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. See, you can win the battle. If you have this armor on you with which you will be able to quench all the fiery you can win. But you can't win unless you absolutely know the Word of God. And take the helmet of salvation. What does a helmet protect? Protects your head, protects your brain. You've got to know about your salvation. You've got to know that you're saved based on what? Based on the Word of God. Not based on your feelings. Not based on what the preacher says at your funeral. You've got to know. You've got to protect with this, with this helmet of salvation. But in order to do that, you've got to know the Word. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the only offensive weapon in the whole list is the Word of God. You've got to keep your sword sharp. You've got to know how to use it. You don't know how to use it, you're done. You lose. It's over. It's how we get to these different places that are not good. Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. Did you see those words? Arguments, knowledge, thought. It's all focused right here. That's what he's talking about. That's where it all starts. We see that our victory against sin and Satan and destruction, our victory can only happen if we understand the battle begins in the mind, and that's why Bible study is so critical to win in the battle. This is why, if we want to avoid the pitfalls of this life, it is so essential that we know the Bible not only to avoid the pitfalls of this life, but in order to guarantee eternal life, we've got to know God's Word. We've got to. We've got to learn it. We've got to continue to learn it. We've got to continue to increase our knowledge and strengthen our faith. We've got to continue to strengthen our armor, to sharpen our sword. We've got to. Look with me in the Psalm. Psalm 119. Turn there with me, would you please? Psalm 119. As I've often told people, it's one of my favorite psalms, probably because of its length. <laughs> but also because it focuses so much on the Word. And, and I, you know, read the whole thing this afternoon. But we're just going to read a few verses because, again, this continual, in-depth, serious, and ever-increasing Bible study is an essential element of avoiding the pitfalls of not only this earthly life, but of guaranteeing eternal life. Look what David writes in Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2. He says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Do you want to be blessed? Then you've got to know God's word, and you've got to do it. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. Who seek him with the whole heart. Seeking God with the whole heart 
does not mean only opening my Bible in church. Husbands, does loving your wife with everything you are mean only communicating with her or listening to her one day a week and then for about 10 minutes and you're done? Few wives aren't too crazy about that idea, apparently. Well, loving God with all my heart, seeking Him with my own heart, my whole heart means keeping His testimonies, walking in His law, being blessed, but I gotta know it. Look what He says in verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. It's the only way. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Do you think if any, if any of these young people or older people who have walked into a school and taken innocent lives or anywhere else, Oklahoma City here just recently, do you think that any of those people, if they were seeking the Lord with all their heart, if they loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if they continually sought Him, do you think they'd have done those things? Do you think that if people loved God enough to just get into His Word and just do what He said, that we'd have all these differing religions and belief systems that are leading people to hell? Do you think we would? No. We'd have so many problems in our society gone. They just go poof and they disappear. We got here because we're not doing this. Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I, he says, I'm, I talk to people about this all the time. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony as much as in all riches. He said, God, I am just so excited and delighted and so happy, and I just rejoice in your word and what it says more than all the gold in the world. What a wonderful thing, God. I will meditate on your precepts. God, I'm just going to get into your word and I'm just going to meditate and I'm just going to sit there and I'm just going to think about it and mull it over and, and turn it. Of course, King David didn't have anything else to do, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mull it over and turn it over and think about it and I'm going to contemplate your ways, not my ways, your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 16. Look at verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I'll keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I'll keep your law. Indeed, I'll observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, and not to covetousness. God, don't let me get carried away with the things of this world. Let me get carried away with just living in your word. It, it just excites me. It is so incredible to have this gift from you, God. And he goes on from there. He says, Turn away my eyes, verse 37, from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Verse 39, Turn away my reproach which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. God, I just want to get into your word. It's so awesome. And look at what the same King David later on instructed his son King Solomon, 
about always seeking and serving God with a whole heart and a loyal and willing mind. Look in 1 Chronicles. Back up to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. And look what this same David who wrote Psalm 119 told his son King Solomon. 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verses 5 through 9. David says, 1 Chronicles 28, 5 through 9. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now he said to me, It is your son Solomon who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. God talking to David. Okay. God said to David, Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if... He is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, He'll cast you off forever. What did David tell his son? You study hard. You know God. You listen to God. You take in God's word. You take in all his commandments. See that you do all of his commandments. You've got to learn them all before you can do them. And you see that you learn them, that you do them, that you live right, son. That you do everything God commanded you, and it'll be awesome, but because if you don't, life's going to be awful. What happened to Solomon? Solomon didn't listen to Dad too well, did he? And God was very angry with Solomon. God never would have been that angry with Solomon if Solomon had simply studied his Bible like his father told him to. The world we live in today is one that has not set itself to seek and serve the Lord through a thorough and steady study of His Word. That's how we got to where we are today. As a people, as a nation, sadly as a church, in some cases. Really? Loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, as it is worded in Luke 10 and verse 27, loving the Lord our God with everything we've got translates into, don't miss this, translates into loving Him enough to learn and obey His Word. John 14, verse 15. But because Bible study has not been the top priority in this country, we're reaping what we've sown. Because Bible study, sincere, honest, hard work, and diligent Bible study has not been the top priority. That's why the Lord's church in a lot of places is in the shape it's in. You read about some of these old timers. David Lipscomb and others, and you read, and they'll talk about where they got up in the morning at 4.30 or 5 o'clock and studied, went off and studied till noon every day. I don't remember which one it was, if it was Lipscomb or one of the others, but, but he would get up in the morning and he would go down to this little, I've seen pictures of it, this little building that was his study that was away from the farm and everything else, and he'd put in daily. 
Not that David Lipscomb had anything else to do. Maybe it was Alexander Campbell, but it was one of them. You can tell I wasn't including that, but since I thought of it. The hours of study that these men put in, despite speaking engagements, despite huge families, despite everything else, horse and buggy? Really? Think about it. As I said, lack of Bible study is why in a lot of cases we're reaping what we're sowing even in the church today. I'm going to go through a bunch of scriptures here. Please listen. Romans 1, 18-32 verifies the debased mind and the deadly actions that will inevitably come about as a result of refusing to study like we ought to. Because what invariably happens, if we don't study and fill our heads with God's Word at every opportunity, Satan's going to gain a foothold and he's going to get in there and we're going to exchange the truth of God for a lie if we're not careful. Think about these following verses and how they're all connected to the battlefield of the mind. Listen. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul said, We all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just like the others. Philippians 3.19, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. They're not taking in enough of God's word. They're losing the battle. It's all about the mind. Paul says in Colossians 1, 21 through 23, he says, You who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. But again, he goes back to the mind. He says in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if then you were seated with Christ, sorry, if you were raised with Christ, talking about baptism, it, that he mentioned in chapter 2, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. You have got to take God's word in at every opportunity if you're going to win the battle. Titus 1 verses 15 and 16 says to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in their works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Why? Even their minds defiled. That's where it starts. In all those passages, you see the importance of filling your mind with God's Word. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14, Gird up the loins of your mind. And then he goes on to talk about how that will affect your conduct and how we won't get to all of those places. A holy and righteous, loving God of peace. God who created us, He never ever wanted for us to get to this ugly place that we're in as a nation. He never wanted us to get to this ugly place where we are in some places in this world as a congregation of His Son's church. 
He sent His Son, the walking Word of God. He gave us the Bible, His written Word of God, so that if we would just continually seek and study and accept and follow both the walking Word of God and the written Word of God, we could defeat all of Satan's soul-damning schemes. We could defeat all of the terrible news that we hear about. We could defeat all these people that are being misled by false doctrine. We could defeat all of that and not find ourselves in these ugly and ungodly places. It is nothing less than the highest form of godly love that we are commanded by God to make the study of His Word our top priority. Let me say that again. It is nothing less than the highest expression of the love of God or godly love that we are therefore commanded to make this mind-renewing and transforming Bible study our top priority. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 12. Romans 12. Verses 1 and 2. Very familiar texts this morning. But very essential commands of God. Paul writes to Church Christ in 1st century Rome in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore. I'm, I'm begging you, Paul says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And you can't get any more powerful than that. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Present your bodies as a living... Well, how do I do that, Paul? How do I make my body... How do I make it into everything God wants it to be? How do I serve Him with my hands and my eyes and, and everything that, that about my physical body? Here's how, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how it starts in here. Whatever happens out here, starts in here. By the renewing of your mind. That you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Look in Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. Look what it says. Ephesians 4 and verse 17. Paul writes to the first century church of Christ in Ephesus. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. He said you can't live like that anymore. You can't keep doing what they're doing. You can't keep thinking like they're thinking and having the priorities that they have prioritized. You can't do that anymore. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not learned Christ, or you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and been taught by Him. The truth is in Jesus that you put off. Concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and do what? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How many times? Doesn't say, does it? I like baptism. Repent and be baptized. You do that once. Baptism is a one-time thing. Repentance is a multi-time thing. Innumerable. When this says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that's an ongoing process. That's a continual study. If you read that five years ago where it said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, would that mean that you needed to get renewed in the spirit of your mind five years ago? 
Yeah, it would. And you read it four years ago, would it mean the same thing, even though you've been doing it? Yes, and on and on and on. And mean it this morning, will it mean it ten years? Yes. It's an ongoing thing. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Why? Because that's the only way that we're going to become the people that God wants us to be and escape some of the ugliness in our world today. These verses show us why constant and continual Bible study is so important. It needs to be our top priority, not just talking about coming to Bible uh, Bible study when the church assembles. I'm talking about dailies. I'm talking about all the time. Read the bulletin article. If we want to escape the pitfalls of Satan here, if we want to make this world a better place, if we want to escape the pitfalls in our own personal lives, we want to make the church a better place, we want to make ourselves a better person. There's only one, one way we win that battle against that, that wicked host. And you know, even the earthly blessings that are promised by God for such consistent Bible study are absolutely incredible. Turn with me to the final text of the morning, Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. We'll pick up here tonight. As we consider again that even the earthly blessings promised by God for such consistent Bible study are incredible. The, the earthly blessings right now. Yes, it helps guarantee our entrance into heaven, Peter said. And, and yes, it shows us approved to God and does all those wonderful things for eternity, which are so much better than here. But the blessings are here too. Look at Isaiah 26, beginning at verse 1. He says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. My favorite part of this whole text is verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Ain't that awesome? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Is there anybody in this room this morning that could use a little more peace and comfort in their lives? Anybody? Raise your hand if you could use more peace and comfort. If you don't have your hand up, then you could use a little more honesty. What does that text say? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. I want that. Well, God says, okay, I got it for you. I'll give it to you. But you know what you got to do? You got to fill your mind with what I said. And I'll give you that peace. Trust in the Lord, verse 4, forever. For in Yah the Lord is what? Everlasting strength. Verse 3, perfect peace here. Verse 4, forever, there's everlasting strength in trusting God. But you can't claim legitimately to trust God if you don't know what God said. I cannot stress to you enough the blessings that will await you, that do await you. I cannot express to you enough the blessings that God is willing to give you if you will triple the time you now spend in Bible study. Or double it. I know somebody just over the past couple of weeks was having a terrible day. 
Things weren't going well. And they said, frustrated, all those things, just decided to sit down and open my Bible and start reading. Guess what happened in about 10 minutes? Guess what happened? You know what happened, don't you? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is... Not that comes and goes. Not that comes Sunday and leaves until Wednesday night and then might float back and then leaves again until Sunday and then comes... That's all. Stayed on you. This morning, is anybody here who has not obeyed the gospel by repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Or if you're somebody... You know, you know who you are. If you're somebody that you, you just know, you've got turmoil in your life, things aren't all it ought to be, you, you've kind of lost the peace and the joy of your salvation, you know you don't study like, if you don't study like you ought to, you know who you are. You know better who you are, and I do, but you don't. And you need that peace, but man, it just don't seem to be anywhere. Whatever time you spend in God's Word, double it. Watch what God does in your life. You can't win on your own. And you won't. The lesson is yours. If you have a need this morning, maybe for the prayers of the church, that you'll just make more study time, whatever it may be. Or to be baptized into Christ, will you please come to the front as we stand and sing.